From the DuckDuckGo for Privacy studio, this is News Talk A3O, WCCO. The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk A3O and Odyssey, Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL, Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Hello, I'm Susie Jones. Welcome to Your Money. If you have a financial question for Bruce Elmer, you can call this number, 888 Advice. You can call that number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can certainly email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. During this show, you can call or text our studio line. That's 651-461-9226. Now, here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor Bruce Helmer. Bruce, what are we talking about today? Hey, Susie, thank you. And, uh, yeah, people can always ask me questions, and it's 50-50 whether I'll know the answer. But, fortunately, Peg Webb is also with us today, and she's far more likely to know the answers than I am. And also with us today, if you're out there and you're a, a regular listener of the show, uh, Chris Harstick, our Director of Investments at Wealth Enhancement Group, is also joining us today. We, we have Chris on periodically, as a lot of people know, to kind of look at, where the market has been, where we think the market is going, what are the things influencing our investment management team's uh, decisions and running their portfolios. So Chris is that guy. Chris is the guy that kind of heads up our team at Wealth Enhancement Group that uh, that manages money. And so we're going to talk about the, the things moving the market today, market movers. And Chris, um, maybe before we jump into the topic, I always think whenever we introduce you, you know, I've I've got your bio or I know your history and uh, I know how smart you are and I say some things about you. But why don't you take the opportunity to tell listeners what you want them to know about you instead of me? What what should people know about Chris? Well, good morning and thanks for having me. I always always enjoy this, uh, visiting with with the the listeners, visiting with you. And, And before we even start, I'd just say, Please, please get those questions in uh, via text, uh, call in, et cetera, because those are the most fun items that, that I think we deal with on, on the show on a regular basis. Uh, I think maybe most importantly in, in terms of myself is that I'm a part of a team. So we have an, a, a, a strong investment team with a variety of opinions. We have people who have uh, MBAs or PhDs in various uh, um Areas and we have we have people that have a lot of real world experience. We have people that have experience, um, you know, in terms of running businesses now on our investment team, and, and that's really exciting because it gives us a diverse mix of opinions, gives us a, a different prism in terms of how we look at the world today, and and that's really important because the information that's out there is obviously very distorted in, in some respects because we're coming through this situation still related to all the stimulus. From a fiscal standpoint, all the stimulus from a monetary standpoint, and and some of the data gets a little bit tricky to dissect. And so, 
Uh, we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about the unemployment numbers. We'll talk about the job openings. We'll talk about the supply chain issues. And all of that is dependent on how our team is looking at the world in, in order to, I think, arrive at an opinion that makes sense for, um, you know, the average person out there. And then obviously individuals have their own unique circumstances. We may take them in a slightly different direction from time to time. But that's that's the important thing that I want to introduce is that we're a team and one person can't know it all in today's day and age where there's so much information out there. And so uh, that team aspect is really exciting to me. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bruce. This is Peg. Uh, I think I, I thought what we would start with is kind of an overview, Chris, of the global economic growth. And then I also want to add that if we do have time, I'd like to interject some questions that I get weekly in my reviews when it comes to investments and what your team is thinking. Absolutely. I always love your questions, Peg. Um, you know, so, yeah, if we, if we dive into the, the economic growth and uh, let's, let's combine kind of recent market performance there, it's definitely been interesting. So we had uh, really strong equity markets for the first uh, uh, eight months of the year. And then all of a sudden we got into September and things got a little bit dicey for the first time in a while. And really it was the first time since uh, May or June of 2020, right, where, where, we, where we saw uh, more than a few percent sell-off in, in a variety of names. And we saw the market, the S&P, as we measure it, down about 5% in the month of September. Uh, that's because of all the headlines out there. And, and I wouldn't attribute it to just one headline, uh, but there was a lot of negative headlines out there around the debt ceiling, around the infrastructure bill, um, around what's going on in various locales throughout the globe, uh, whether it's a, a lack of energy in some places in, in Europe. So they're having uh, price spikes associated with natural gas, uh, oil, et cetera. You're also seeing some consternation around a few uh, issues in China as well. And so long story short, all those negative headlines kind of boiled up to this nervousness in the market. And then the, in addition to that, uh, the Federal Reserve has made it clear that or they, they cemented what most of the market thought, that they were eventually going to start to take a little bit of the gas out of the system. They're not going to they're not going to have us running on empty. We're not even going to get half a tank, I, I would argue, using this metaphor but they're going to just take a little bit of gas out of the system at some point in the near future in terms of what we call tapering. And that tapering um, is, is also making, I think, the market a little bit nervous. That said, you know, if we think about where we've come from when we had the COVID pandemic economic uh, scenario that we experienced back in March and April of 2020, we made tremendous progress. I think that's if we looked at the jobs report, the unemployment number, the headline number is actually 4.8% uh, in regards to the one that came out on Friday. The number was a little bit weaker than expectations, but we saw a revision up to a weaker number from the August number as well. And so I, I think there's a lot of distortion in the in the current number. And so I wouldn't make too much of that. In fact, we all know there's a tremendous amount of job openings out there at this point. And wages are are increasing at a at a, a very healthy level at this point too. So, from our standpoint, you know, I think we always look at the big picture. There's, like I said, a ton of data inputs. A ton of that data can also be distorted, and so you need to parse that. So we parse the the jobs number. We don't think it's as bad as what uh, maybe some people thought, and we we see some positives there. Um, you know, one of the things that's really really interesting to me is that the hospitality and leisure 
area of the, of the uh, U.S. economy is still 1.6 million jobs below where it was pre-pandemic, which is about 10% lower in terms of that segment of the of the U.S. in terms of jobs. So a lot of what we're seeing come back will be that stuff, but that was also delayed by uh, an additional COVID situation, I would argue. Uh, a lot of people still a little bit reticent to travel in some places, just being absolutely booked because all that travel was was uh, was pushed into a particular time period. So, so I think that's interesting, um, you know, as well as that we're also seeing uh, the data in terms of consumer spending flatten out. So, a lot of people were very eager when they got post-pandemic. Um, so, let's say the fall of 2020 to normalize their life. Uh, start to spend, start to do things, et cetera. And so we saw a tremendous wave of consumer spending. We saw a tremendous wave of consumer confidence, uh, the back of the real estate uh, appreciation that we've seen, refinancing, et cetera. That has led to a lot of different consumer spending um, in various areas, but that's flattened out in, in recent months. And part of that is actually because of the supply chain issues that have been so noteworthy, right? Uh, I think we've all probably seen the pictures of the ports in California where there's a bunch of ships out in the ocean just waiting to come into port. Um, that's one thing we we're monitoring, but we think that's relatively temporary at this stage. We think uh, there's a couple of factors involved in that that are that are interesting to us, such as uh, the ports are actually unloading a lot more cargo than they used to, even though there's consternation about uh, what was a longshoreman strike for a while, uh, an inability to get additional uh, port workers at this stage. Um, but that, we, th- we think it's a really interesting story because there's so much more cargo coming in. And then once it comes in, there's actually a little bit of a delay, too, because uh, we're lacking truck drivers um, to, to get that cargo throughout the country, right? And so if you don't know, California actually has uh, between uh, roughly three ports, we're bringing in about 50% of the imports that we bring in. So it's a tremendous uh, uh, area of, of, of economic activity at this stage. And, and yet we're seeing some of these issues being highlighted. Uh, we'll probably have some issues around the holiday season um, in terms of supply for some retailers. We've seen retailers actually go out and book their own cargo transportation, some of the very biggest ones. Uh, so I think that's very interesting. That said, we still believe it's it's temporary. And it goes back to the idea of what we've talked about many times in terms of transitory inflation versus permanent inflation. And we're, we'll I think I would argue at this stage, and our team would argue at this stage, the transitory component may last a little bit longer than what we would have thought six, nine, 12 months ago, but we still don't see the permanent inflation or the very runaway inflation that we saw in the 1970s. So I think that's uh, important as well as we go down this path of trying to understand economic growth and inflation and markets and how they fit together at this stage. So I'll stop so Go ahead, Bruce. Oh, I'm sorry, Peg. So, Chris, um, there was a lot of data in there in the in the last yeah. couple of minutes. And just a really quick summary, but what I heard you say is that a lot of these things, just like what Peg and I do with financial planning, they're not always an exact science. Sometimes things are gray, and smart people might not totally agree. And there's certainly some issues. You mentioned some of the issues like supply chain and so forth. But I got a sense that overall you're optimistic on, on, in terms of economic growth. And then you started to sneak just a little bit into the next thing I, I wanted to bring up, and I know, Peg, you're hearing from clients, and that's the ugly I word in inflation. 
Yeah, exactly. I think we're working through um, the issues, right? Now, the supply chain issues are probably going to persist out into 2022. So retailers may not meet the expectations that we would have thought six months ago. Uh, The holiday season may be a slight disappointment. In fact, earnings this week are coming out for the third quarter, and I think that's going to give us a clue as to that. But overall, uh, we see economic growth. Uh, The GDP number was actually revised up for Q2 to 6.7%. Uh, we see economic growth this year uh, obviously be very strong and that continuing into next year. Um, so, so yes, we, we, I think overall, uh, long-term, we, we, have, we have a positive uh, outlook, but there are certainly some headlines out there that could, that could uh, cause market volatility, such as the debt ceiling, right? That was a big headline over the last three to four weeks, uh, in particular this last week. That was really just punted out until December 3rd uh, at this stage. And, and it's unfortunate that it's that's been delayed, uh, but the, the likelihood of it becoming a major issue, I think, is a lot lower than what uh, people are seeing in the headlines. So, yes, overall, I'd say we're, we're positive long-term, but in the short-term, expect some volatility. I have to uh, ask, Bert, Chris, I have to ask because, this is the number one question I get every single day in my review meetings. And, and I know you touched on it lightly, but I think we need to elaborate a little bit more. My, my clients are very, very concerned about this debt and the debt ceiling and are we ever going to get out of it? And they're concerned for their children and their grandchildren. Can you just address that uh, for the listeners? Yeah, I, I- I think, uh, you know, we've been addressing it for a number of years in that uh, it's been a very elevated number. The numbers are very hard to comprehend, right? It used to be uh, the joke was what's a what's a billion among friends, right? That was the joke about what went on in Washington, D.C. Now it's what's a, a trillion among friends, right? Uh, so they are crazy numbers at this stage. Um, that said, uh, you know, I think when we think about the U.S. as an as a as a group as a financial situation, the U.S. Is, uh, has a tremendous amount of assets that people don't always value, I think, and also has a tremendous amount of annual income in terms of what it produces from a GDP standpoint. So if we're looking at the U.S. as prospective borrower uh, to maybe buy a house and you just put it in simple economic terms that way, uh, the debt is, is somewhat uh, analogous to uh, a very uh, strong income profile of, of uh, you know, we we're, we're, have GDP of call it 20 some trillion a year. Our debt is uh, pushing 30 trillion a year. Well, if you were an individual home buyer and you had um, income of, uh, let's say, uh, to make the math easy, 220,000 a year, and you were bu- had a debt of 290,000 or 300,000, uh, again, equating that trillion down to uh, tens of thousands, essentially. That's a very, I think, uh, strong profile for a borrower for a house. That said, uh, you know, I think we definitely uh, are not going to be able to continue to pour the stimulus onto the onto the economy in the way that we did. And that's actually what the Fed is talking about right now in terms of their taper that's probably going to happen here uh, before the end of the year, where they're they're not going to raise interest rates to start. They're going to stop buying bonds, of tr- so that they're buying treasuries. They're buying mortgage-backed securities at this stage, and that's all designed to keep the functioning of credit markets, uh, very low interest rates, so the economy continues to to function very well. And I think from that 
standpoint, we're watching that component very closely. But if we go back to the debt, the, the overall profile of the U.S. as a borrower, I think, is very strong. Um, and, and so the general nervousness there, I understand because the numbers are so almost un- incomprehensible. But if we look at the underlying economics, uh, it's actually not nearly as bad as I think it's been made out to be over time. Um, however, you know, there's there's really not an appetite for an increase in what we call revenue generating things. So tax increases, uh, whether it's taxes, uh, fees, uh, other things, that appetite is obviously very low. Uh, I think throughout the system, and so it'll be interesting to see how that works in the future. Uh, but I, I do think if we have a decent amount of inflation built into the system, so let's say that two to three percent the Fed has been targeting, and our spending gr- only grows at two or three percent annualized over time, uh, that match of where we're at uh, from an asset standpoint, from an incoming revenue standpoint, and then uh, and then in terms of the debt should be, I think it. Uh, very, very tolerable, and our credit rating should remain very strong. All right. This is Your Money, It, and we have with us Peg Webb and also the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor Bruce Helmer, and our special guest this week, Chris Harstick. And we are talking about global economic growth as well as inflation, as well as the debt ceiling. So as financial uh, advisors, what do you tell your people, Peg, about that debt ceiling? Should they worry individually about it? Yeah, I don't think they should worry individually about it. But the other thing that they're bringing up, uh, Chris, is taxes. And, you know, there's a lot of talk now about changing things and raising more revenue when it comes to the debt ceiling. Let's just address taxes while we have a few more minutes. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's a, a variety of proposed tax legislation at this stage. And I think some of the more aggressive policy has, has come back in. Right. And and so I think the market has taken that uh, in stride. And that's actually helped us uh, reduce some of the volatility we might have anticipated um, here in the future. That said, uh the other day, Friday, actually, we saw the the uh, 136 different countries throughout the the world agreed to set a, a global corporate tax rate, essentially. So this uh, shell game of companies moving from country to country to reduce their tax burden, uh, that may be coming to a, a, at least somewhat of an end. And I think that will make planning a little bit easier on a go-forward basis for companies. Uh, now, corporate taxes are p- potentially uh, going to be raised as part of the new legislation that this administration has proposed. And we see that hitting earnings a, a little bit. Uh, it definitely, though, in the mid single digits in terms of uh, in terms of earnings coming down because of an increase in corporate taxation. But by and large, the high quality companies are just going to pass that on to the consumer. Right. And so the consumer themselves, uh, us, are going to pay for uh, much of that tax increase. And so I'm not worried about uh, tax increases as it pertains to the market or the potential individual tax increases. We've looked at the data in terms of the last several times uh, taxes have been increased, both at the corporate level and at the individual level. And each time the markets have digested it very well when you look at it uh, three months prior, six months prior in terms of where the market started, and then three, six, and 12 months after the tax legislation is actually finalized. And so that's the message we've been talking, telling clients is, you know, there's going to be a lot of headlines around it. 
But at the end of the day, we don't think this is going to be a, a big enough of a change to discombobulate the markets on its own. Now, combined with something else, uh, there's always a risk, but the tax unto itself, we don't think so. Hey, I, I'm going to jump in, Chris and, and Peg. Um, we've got a little over a minute left, I think, before we have to go to break. Um, Chris, I know there's a couple of other things probably that you wanted to hit upon today that, that are important for listeners to know. So when we come back from the break, let's kind of prioritize and make sure we hit some of those key things. And then, Susie, uh, to the extent we can, let's let listeners dr- uh, drive where we go with their questions. Can you share the uh, the text and phone number if people want to get in the second half and ask a question? I sure will. It's 651-461-9226. Remember that you can actually text that line, 651 651- Four six one nine two two six, and you can also use it to call in and ask your question directly of Bruce or Peg or Chris. And the number six five one four six one nine two two six. A lot of good stuff here on the air this morning about the economic growth of the country, about inflation, about the debt ceiling. So any questions are welcome. Correct? Absolutely, Susie. You're you're very good at. Uh at being the the listener. Do you have a question for Chris today? <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll tease it this way because we've got 30 seconds. So I want to know uh, this. You talk about inflation is not too bad. I do. We all as consumers are seeing the price of groceries and various other objects uh, going up. So let's talk about what's pushing yep. those numbers up and what we need to know about our kind of day-to-day pocketbooks, really, to keep it all on the tracks. You know, if you paid a dollar fifty for milk last week and now you're paying three fifty, you gotta do some figuring with you. I'm Susie Jones. Welcome again to your money. If you have a financial question for Bruce Helmer, you can call anytime, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week at eight 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 six advice. And you can certainly email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. During this show, you can call or Text our studio line, that number, 651-461-9226. Again, that's if you want to ask a question or simply text, 651-461-9226. Now here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor Bruce Helmer, and Peg Webb as well, financial advisor with Wealth Enhancement, and our special guest, Chris Hartstick, and we're talking about market movers and we hit of inflation briefly before we hit that break and is talking about what is happening with the price of goods and services chris yeah i think uh, we answer i i I just wanted to say i love um what Susie did there and that Susie, that's what makes you such a great uh partner with us on air because i know a lot of people out there were thinking the same thing. Mm. And I, 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 I was thinking in the first half of the show also that we don't often enough uh, add the disclaimer that all these things that we talk about are the macroeconomic, are the big picture globally, but we, we don't want to be insensitive to the fact that there's individuals within this global conversation that would say, what are you talking about? I can't even afford to fill my car up with gas. So I'm glad... That was a great tease for the second part, Chris Peg. How do we tell people, oh, inflation's not that bad, don't worry about it, when it's stretching their budget? 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Bruce. I mean, um, as, as Susie mentioned, when you do go to the grocery store, when you do go to the gas station, it's it's highly noticeable, right? Um, and that's what people think about most often is is uh, what's what what are they seeing in real time in their lives? And 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 I think we are all seeing that in certain segments, um, in particular uh, as it pertains to certain goods, right? And the reason for that is because as we went through the pandemic, the service industry got hit very hard, right? So travel, leisure, entertainment, uh, et cetera, uh, restaurants, that got hit very hard. And all of the spending that was associated with services really got repositioned into consuming goods. So I'm sure we all know a tremendous amount of people who, who uh, you know, did something in terms of a home project, uh, bought a second home, um, you know, they did things that actually consumed physical goods and labors as opposed to paying for the experiences uh, of, of a concert, of a, of a ball game, et cetera. And so that's why we're seeing a little bit more inflation in these particular goods um, or hard assets as opposed to the services. And I think that's why we see a mixed number in, in terms of inflation at this stage. The services uh, haven't been quite as rampant in terms of their inflation area numbers as we have from the goods standpoint. And the goods have been, uh, ha- have been highlighted or maybe even uh, extenuated in terms of what their circumstances have been because of the supply chain issues. And the supply chain issues aren't just the logistics that we talked about, right? Uh, there's been shutdowns associated with uh, COVID. There's been shutdowns associated with shortages then that flow through from a semiconductor chip standpoint all the way to automobiles. And thus, that's why we're seeing some of this inflation. And we view it as uh, temporary in terms of multiple quarters and months uh, versus multiple years at this stage. We think a lot of that gets resolved as uh, the healthcare issues are resolved, plant productions come back online, and we've seen that in action. So we saw lumber prices go uh, parabolic in the first part of this year, right? And we were on the air and we said, you know, that's probably going to come in because there's tariff issues, uh, there's supply issues, and uh, there's there's tremendous amount of demand, but we think that demand uh, starts to fade a little bit, and the production will come back online, and that resolved itself. Uh, the same thing we're seeing with iron ore at this stage. Uh, that was uh, almost went parabolic for a couple of months, and now that's coming back down. And so uh, that's what I think we see from a global macro standpoint is that the the inflation is kind of cycling through different areas, and then it comes back down as people uh, resolve things. The best uh, mechanism for low prices or high prices is actually low prices or high prices. So if there's high prices, a lot of people compete in that particular business, right? Cause they can have a bigger margin. If there's low prices, uh, less people will compete. And eventually the, the people who are the best within that will be able to set their price better. And so we saw that with oil, right? It traded negative in May of 2020. Uh, people couldn't comprehend that because it was actually uh, not that way at the gas pump, but oil itself, because of a couple of technical things, traded negative. And we saw that resolve itself quickly. And yes, now I would argue uh, oil is somewhat of a silent tax because energy prices are up um, on consumers. But as we cycle through that, we'll start to see demand or uh, other things replace that. And I think we'll be able to manage through this inflation so that we don't get into that 1970s or 1980s inflation. Uh, It will be above 
the inflation we were accustomed to for a couple of years, that very uh, low 1%, 1.5%, probably for uh, several quarters. But after that, I think we'll start to see some normalization as all those issues get resolved. So hope, hopefully that helps unpack that a little bit better um, in, in terms of what we're seeing, connecting both the what people see at the ground level and then also what we see at the high level in terms of the statistics that we follow. All right. It is 651-461-9226. If you have a question or a comment, you can text us at that as well, 651-461-9226. We are getting a lot of text messages from our listeners. Let us start with this question. With the potential upcoming Federal Reserve moves reducing the easing, what will be the effect on bonds, ETFs, which I have no idea what that is because I am not one of you, but you can maybe talk about. <laughs> I will I will say, though, that, you know, we all look at interest rates in the Federal Reserves, and um, that is a concern to people, particularly if they're buying or selling or what have you, right? That's, that's right, Susie. So as it pertains to that particular instrument, um, you know, I would argue that bond ETF, so exchange-traded funds is what that stands for. That's just a, a analogous of how you could potentially purchase bonds. So you could purchase bonds directly and own the individual bond of a particular city or corporation, uh, or you could buy them through a mutual fund or through an ETF. And so there's a variety of ways to access the bond market. Uh, that said, what does the Fed do to the bond market? Uh, what we see is that the Fed is still going to be very, very accommodative uh, to economic growth, the conditions, the functioning of credit markets. And that's the most important thing is that credit markets can function. So uh, someone who has a, a very strong balance sheet can go and borrow money to, to buy a house or to potentially start a new business. Uh, and that the vast majority of citizens who uh, are employed can go buy a car uh, or a reasonable purchase like that. And so that's what the Fed is going to continue to ensure happens. What we're talking about in terms of tapering is they've been kind of juicing the credit markets through the purchases of treasuries that get issued, through the purchases of mortgage-backed securities that get issued, and they're going to curtail that uh, as we go into 2022. Um, that will be the first stage before they actually start to look at interest rates. I want to make that really clear. When we're talking about tapering, they're going to be reducing the bond purchases that have provided substantial additional liquidity into the system. So there's plenty of money out there for someone who has a good credit profile. And and, and then they will look at interest rates to potentially curtail market activity uh, from getting too hot. Not they, they don't want to curtail market activity into a negative situation just from getting too hot. And so uh, from that standpoint, we think the Fed uh, is going to be very accommodative uh, because they learned the lessons from the Great Depression of the 1920s and 1930s, where the Fed got uh, out front of uh, of a hot market or hot economy and were too aggressive in terms of curtailment. They also did that, uh, I would argue, in December of 2018, where they raised rates uh, a couple of times, and all of a sudden the market said no moss, uh, and the market sold off pretty aggressively, and the Fed backed away, learning that they had pushed just a little bit too far in that case. And so what that means is is that uh, they want the economy to be in a very, very strong position before they start to take off some of this 
uh, excess liquidity, as we might call it today. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that. We do have a caller on our line. Bob is calling from Mankato with a question for the team. Chris, Bruce, or Peg. Go ahead, Bob. You're on the air. Hey, I'm a southern uh, Minnesota farmer. I'm a fifth-generation farmer. I have boys uh, that are actively farming with us now that want to farm. we got a lot of pigs and a lot of barns and a lot of land, and I want to pass all of that along to them. My father did that for me and enabled me and my brother to farm and continue on farming, and we've heard a lot of talk about the tax on farms and in and inheritance of farms about the Biden administration and wondering how you guys feel about that. How will that affect us? Is it fear-mongering by the other party, or is there some truth to that? Thanks for the call. That's a good question. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, Peg, uh, you should jump in too, but just to kind of, uh, I think, add clarity to what I think Bob is saying, I think he's talking about the estate tax or, Again, political gamesmanship, the death, death tax, or whatever name you want to give it. And if your estate is over a certain size, and you guys can talk about how big that is, then on, on, upon the, on Bob's death, he's worried about potential erosion of the, the wealth that he's built, which may not be in cash assets, but is in farm equipment, animals, land, structures, and how does the next generation pay that tax? He's concerned about the estate tax. So, uh, Chris and Peg, what, what, uh, advice can you give for Bob and other farmers, uh, like Bob? And, and, and there's a lot of them that, uh, are probably concerned about this. And Chris, when, when you address this, can you talk a little bit about the step up in basis too? Because there's some confusion out there. Uh, are they going to eliminate it? Are they going to keep it as is? Uh, go ahead. Sure. I, I, you guys, please feel free to jump in. Um, so I think it, it's a great question because we are seeing so many uh, potential changes being discussed uh, at the moment from a, from a estate tax standpoint, from a capital gains standpoint, uh, from uh, from an account um, standpoint where you could potentially – no longer be able to contribute to certain accounts at the level you used to be able to, right? And so variety of scenarios are proposed, but they're just proposed at this stage. So I would say that you need to get in with a, an, an advisor who's who's uh, going to be very much your advocate in terms of planning for this potential thing um, as it unfolds, because it's still left to unfold, right? Uh, second, I do know, and I've, I, I've studied this a little bit, um, it, it, I think Bob asked the, the, the question of how much of this is political gamesmanship, and I would say there's 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 some there. Um, and then there was a study done by a professor at Iowa State a few years ago now, uh, but he looked at the data over about a 35 or 40 year period, and there was only one farm uh, in the U.S. I think was the number. I think it was one farm uh, that actually had to be sold to meet the estate tax payment. So I think if you are uh, in front of it, like you are, Bob, you're going to have a real opportunity to potentially position uh, your estate to transfer to your to your children in a way that's going to make sense uh, and not have to uh, force you to liquidate assets because you are likely very land rich 
uh, but that land needs to be maintained in order to continue that operation. And obviously, land valuation has gone up fairly significantly. Peg, do you want to touch on the uh, step up? Um, maybe you followed up just a slightly slightly more than I have. Yes. So right now, um, under the changes of the Trump administration, uh, we each can pass away with 11.7 million. And depending on what state, S-T-A-T-E, that you reside in upon your death uh, is also may have some additional death taxes. Uh, so the state of Minnesota is sitting at $3 million apiece right now. Most clients kind of forget that we are sunsetting back to the original amount on January 1st of 2026 as it sits today, and that is $5.5 million apiece. Now, when it comes to the step-up in basis, uh, historically, the uh, the federal federal uh, lawmakers have had sensitivity on small businesses, and farms would fall into that category where you know you don't necessarily have a lot of cash lying around, but you have a lot of value and you have a lot of net worth. Well, they don't necessarily want to upset you know, small businesses with this change of step in in basis. So what they've talked about, and I like what Chris said, it's really just proposing right now that that they would try to do some variation for small businesses. So although we can't give you absolutes today of where we're headed, uh, I think you need to uh, follow Chris's advice and get either, you know, a good financial advisor or a legal person that can make sure that your documents are uh, well-written uh, for any kind of upcoming changes. All right, the number is really six. Quickly, guys. Go ahead. I was just oh, going to say the number. I'm sorry, Susie. Let me, yeah, look, I just want to get this thought in really quickly because we kind of danced around it. But I think the point that Chris and Peg and I would make is we don't know how the tax laws are going to change for sure. This is all speculation. But whatever happens, there's probably planning opportunities. Chris cited the study of how rare it is for people to actually get um, devastated by estate taxes. And that's because with proper planning, you're not going to have to pay that big number. We've heard horror stories before, not necessarily of farmers, but of rich celebrities, Prince and others, that have died without the proper legal documents. Well, then you're paying those taxes because you didn't plan for it properly. Peg, I know on your at your team, you're doing a lot of proactive tax planning with your clients this year for the possibility of some changes that might be coming in the next couple of years. We absolutely are, and that's kind of standard operating procedure, but it's heightened this year, especially because of that uh, lowering possibility of uh, death taxes and how much you can die with without being assessed a big tax. All right, and we were mentioning that phone number again. If you have questions for our guests, 651-461-9226. We had a listener or a texter ask us that this question, guys, that this is a 65-year-old person with $100,000 saved for help and is told that he or she gets turned away because she or he doesn't have enough money saved. Is there a place to go for someone with that amount of money to get financial guidance? Okay. Uh, well, 
I, I would say absolutely there is resources out there. Unfortunately, like in our business, um, you know, we're, we're in business and we do make revenue with clients that we service. Now, we don't necessarily turn people away and we do offer a free consultation uh, for people that would like some advice from us. And so don't hesitate to contact us or reach out to the financial planning community because I think that there is a lot of help out there. Very good. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sympathetic when, for anyone like that, and I think there, there, there's always a place to go to get help. And the, simply put, it, it depends upon the financial advisor and their business model because, Peg, kind of what you said and what I, how I took it in my head Wealth Enhancement Group is a company, and while we don't exist just to try to make money, if we don't make money, we don't exist. If we don't make a profit, we can't help anybody. So our business model has to be set up so that we have a profitable business. As much as I would like to help anybody and everybody, the reality is I probably just can't do that. But there's 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 always going to be help somewhere somehow um, and don't don't give up there's there's places to go to get some help that's wonderful we have two minutes left ladies and gentlemen are there issues topics that you want to get in here as we near the end of this week's show uh, Chris, Chris the only thing Chris I don't oh go ahead key takeaways for listeners sorry uh, key takeaways for listeners so so Chris what would you conclude they should take away from today yeah, I think uh, it was very clear that there's a lot going on, right, in terms of headlines out there today. Uh, those headlines mean that there's a lot of, I think, uh, consternation in the market at this stage. It may not feel like it because the markets have done uh, very well over the last, let's call it, 15 months, so for, since the COVID bottom. Uh, however, that consternation uh, around the debt ceiling, around what's going on uh, in terms of energy and, and inflation potential, uh, inputs in, in, in terms of interest rates and in terms of uh, uh, some acute situations like within China, those issues uh, actually make the market probably uh, digest things, I think, in a more uh, reasonable fashion so that we don't see this 30 or 40 or 50 percent rise in markets uh, year over year that we got because we were in this, this uh, really uh, detrimental situation 15 months ago. Uh, so what I'm saying is that I think from our standpoint, expect some more volatility. It's not going to be quite as easy to make money in stocks on a go-forward basis. And you should probably be very diversified in terms of your approach because there's more risks out there today than there have been for the last, really, year and a half. All right, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Chris Harstick, Bruce Helmer, Peg Webb. And remember, if you have a financial question for Bruce Helmer or the folks at Wealth Enhancement, you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 888-ADVICE. Always, you can email your questions, yourmoney, at wealthenhancement.com. See you next week, everyone. Have a good day. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc.